Hey you, welcome to Tea Talk, a space to share the therapy tea. I'm Shailene, your host, and I hope you'll join me each week as we sit down to share tips, stories, and conversations on getting better emotionally, recovering from trauma, and improving your overall quality of life. I want to remind everyone that even though podcasts can feel therapeutic, they are definitely not a replacement for therapy. Please, at any point, if you feel the need to take a break because the content is too heavy, please do that and take care of yourself. Also, if you're loving this podcast, please do me a favor and leave me a review, share your reflections with me on Instagram and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. All right. So I'm ready. You're ready. And we're friends now. So go ahead and sit down, cozy up, and let's get ready for today's episode. Okay. It is 10:29 a.m. In my mind, I was going to start this at 10 a.m. Here I am, 29 minutes late, embracing the imperfection of life because things really don't ever go as planned. I mean, do they? I'm sure I'm not alone here. Also, just want to note, because I'm observing the thought right now, I'm very proud that I was able to start this episode without saying, hey, everyone. It's an awkward thing to open up an episode when there's already an intro playing before it. And so when I listen to the podcast back, I'm like, hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. And that's just, it's like a really awkward thing I'm having a hard time getting out of. Also closing things up because there's an outro that plays and it probably says something like, all right, everyone. And then when I close up an episode, I go, okay, everyone. So there's a lot of that going on. And I just want to say yes, because I was able to start the episode without saying the same thing again. Anywho, here we are. Today, I'm going to share some tips with you for, I want to say sustainability. Yes, because there's a way in which certain words get overused. And I'm very aware that this season, we've been talking a lot about something that starts with a B and ends with a T and it rhymes with schmern out. And I don't want to keep saying it and then have people just listen and go, I already heard this before, like talk about something else. The reason why I keep talking about Schmernout is because it's so pervasive. And I'm certain that there are people in the world who maybe feel like it doesn't apply to them, but also it applies to them (laughs) because it seeps in parts of our lives. And I also know for myself, there was a long time where I only associated Schmernout with um, work. And I realized it's not just work, it's life, it's parenting, it's setting boundaries, it's, oh my goodness, so many things. I don't have to talk about it because I've been talking about it this season. So anyways, I want to tell you a little bit about my talk in Hawaii and um, how that connects to Schmernout. Because basically what I'm sharing today is what I did for my talk for Hawaii. So over there on the island, it was wonderful. I mean, people are like, how was Hawaii? I'm like, I mean, what do you think? It was amazing, clearly. Anyways, I was hired to go over there and present on the topic of integrating yoga into clinical work. That was another thing. I don't know what I'm going to call this episode yet, but I'm not going to call it like yoga for burnout or anything like that because people are going to look at it and they're going to be like, been here, done that, sister which I totally get. So if you came into this episode and you're staying and you're like, I don't know, she's talking about schmern out in yoga again, just listen, just stick with me here, okay? It's not gonna be the same thing that I've talked about before. It's gonna be something different, but it's gonna hit the same things because it's so pervasive and I believe that these tools are gonna be helpful. So anyways, 
I plan to go to Hawaii, talk about yoga for yoga, integrating yoga into clinical work. And I kind of did that, but I changed it up just based on when my presentation was going to happen. It got switched to the end. My friend Ernesto, who put the conference on, wanted me to go at the end to help everyone basically leave the conference feeling hopeful and not bogged down by the fact that it's a trauma conference and that a lot of the information was sad and heavy. He's like, people are going to need to move this stuff out of their bodies, Shailene. So I'm going to need you to close it up. And I was like, oh my God, like that's totally fine. No pressure. Meanwhile, mega anxiety the day leading up. I like couldn't stop having an increased heart rate. It was so frustrating to me because that's exactly the kind of stuff that I was presenting on. The fact that our bodies will continue to respond to something, even though our minds logically know, hey, you don't have to think about this or that's not really true anymore. It's not really relevant. So in my mind, I was like, it's okay. You're going to present. It's going to be great. You know your stuff. You've practiced a lot. Like there's all of these pieces of evidence, but my body was like, but no, do you understand you're presenting tomorrow to a bunch of people and the expectation that's being held? Like it just kept happening, happening. Finally, I read a book that was engaging enough for me to distract myself. And that's how I regulated myself. So the irony there of presenting on the thing that was happening to me was not lost. Anyway, why does this all matter for you? And and what do I plan to share? I ended up switching my presentation to not be so super focused on integrating yoga into clinical work, integrating yoga into not only clinical work, but also I presented it as more of a Here are 10 tips from yoga on how to sustain your career in this world. So for therapists, that means schmurnout and avoiding schmurnout and sustaining a really hard career. But like this is stuff that applies to all of us. And so I want to share these 10 tips, yes, from yoga with you, because I feel that it's helpful. I feel that it's helpful. I mean, I don't need to keep trying to find ways to explain it. So anyways, here's the first one. So for those of you who are coming and listening to this with a yoga background, you know a little bit about the Yoga Sutras. The Yoga Sutras are a collection of teachings basically passed forward from way back from like these ancient wise sages. And the book is said to be the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. But even if you read some of the descriptions and about the author section, It's not like there was just like this one dude, Patanjali, who had this really great information put on all the book. It's really kind of like, we don't really know where all of these stories come from. And so we put Patanjali on here because we think he's the last person that translated it. But this is collective wisdom here that's being passed down. And the word sutra, my understanding is that it translates from Sanskrit to thread. It's like, these are the threads that will help someone live a balanced life, a life that feels meaningful, peaceful, enlightening, all of those things. And so The first teaching of this entire book basically translates to yoga is now, yoga is happening right now. And what that really turns to, what that really means is that yoga is present moment awareness. And so again, what do you think when you hear the word yoga? You think like stretching and bending and going to class and maybe you think about sweating or chanting some sounds or things like that. And you have these ideas of what yoga might look like. But yoga actually isn't just practicing yoga and doing the shapes and going to the classes. That's just one part of yoga. Present moment awareness. So it's kind of like considering yoga is a state of mind. And when we bring our attention to now, we're practicing yoga. So that's really cool. So it's all about mindfulness, really. That's what it translates to me. 
The second yoga sutra is that yoga is the cessation. These are all translations. So this is my loose translation of what the Sanskrit term or the sutra is in the book is that yoga is the cessation of mind whirling, like whirling thoughts. So when our mind stops having all of the thoughts and we can recognize that the mind is there underneath all of the thoughts and thoughts are something that happened to the mind, that is yoga. That is present moment awareness. And so the first tip for build, however you want to see this, you can take this as sustainability, as a helping professional. You can take it as a way to help cure burnout. You can take it as a way to, hey, I'm here listening to this because I want to, I just want my life to be better. I want to feel better. I want to feel better about my life. Know that lesson number one here is that it starts with mindfulness so that when we bring our attention to the present moment and we can see our mind underneath all of the stuff that comes on top of it, all of the judgments, opinions, shoulds, criticisms, thinking about the past, worrying about the future, that all takes us out of where we actually are right now. And that when we can get in contact with right now, I'm breathing. Right now, I feel my right foot touching the floor. I felt a physical shift just now when I brought my attention to those things. It kind of checked me in, brought me back. Ah, I feel the shift in my body happen. That's yoga. That's mindfulness. So the more that we can bring our attention to the present moment, the more that we can notice when all of the whirling shit comes around and takes over our mind and we can observe that happening, pull it back and just come back to what's happening right now. That's where it's at. So that's my first tip. Come back to the now. The second tip or lesson that I think yoga can help everybody with is the idea of preparing accordingly for what's on your schedule. So there is this time where I was taking this class. It was a workshop held in a hot yoga power studio. And this teacher was known, she had a a reputation for being pretty tough. So I'm like going in there, ready to get my butt kicked in this class. Somebody signed up for the class. This happens all the time. Someone's like, come with me to a class. And they don't tell you what it is. And you don't, if you don't really do yoga, you don't really know the questions to ask. So this poor girl... She's like having a side conversation while the teacher is explaining something. And the teacher's like, do you guys have a question? And she's like, no, I was just saying to my friend who brought me here. So the teacher's explaining what we're about to do. I think it was a two hour class. And this girl's like, I didn't realize, you know, what kind of class I was coming to. I ate a Chipotle bowl right before I came here. And so why does that matter? Well, I don't remember what happened to her. I'm sure she was okay. Maybe she left early. I'm not really sure. Or maybe she just laid down a lot of the time, which is fine. But you have to prepare accordingly for what's ahead of you. And so that means, you know, if you know you're going to a tough yoga class, you probably won't go to Chipotle. You'll probably drink some water, have a little snacky, and then you'll go to the class and you'll be prepared to move through that. Now, how does this apply to us in our everyday life? Well, if I know I have a really busy day coming up, am I going to bed early the night before? Am I making sure I get good sleep? Am I making sure I eat something before I leave the house? Am I checking in to ensure that I've prepared adequately for what I've put on my plate to come? There's so many times that I completely miss the mark on that. I always underestimate the task difficulty of what I've put in front of myself. So I'll schedule myself with all of these things and then Here I am and I'm like, shit, I feel so overwhelmed. I dropped the ball on something. 
And what does that do? I mean, that just creates more stress in life. It, it takes mental energy. And in talking about mental health, we're trying to really make things as easy as possible. We're trying to create more space in our life for things like joy, peace, and contentment. But if you're worried about what you have going on that day because you overscheduled yourself, then maybe you need to take a look at preparing accordingly. For therapists, that might look like how you schedule your day. Do you schedule yourself with a break in the day? Even just looking at like the clinical nature of your caseload, like if you are scheduling eight appointments a day and they're all, let's say, trauma clients, you're doing EMDR, you're doing prolonged exposure with all these clients, that's going to be really, really hard. And it's going to be hard for you to go on and sustain yourself doing that the next day. Or maybe having the mental energy you need to go home and then parent after that. And so I'm using yoga as an example. I'm using therapists as an example, but you get what I'm saying. Like, what do you have coming up? And how have you prepared for that accordingly? Are you going to show up to a hot yoga class after eating a huge bowl of Chipotle? Or are you going to make look forward, even just looking at tomorrow? Don't look too far forward. Just like look at tomorrow if, if everything else feels really overwhelming. And then ask yourself, what do I need to change in order to be ready for tomorrow? Okay. Lesson number three, you already have everything you need. Did you listen to the podcast episode with Kelly Sue on season two? It was the last episode. If you haven't, bookmark it, listen to it. It was fantastic because the the main vibe coming out of that episode was you already have everything you need. Stop looking to other people for what their opinions are to make decisions about what it is that you're going to do. In yoga, your practice is your practice. And if you're looking over at what Susie's doing on the mat next to you and you keep comparing to her, that violates your first, the first tip that we went over, the first lesson that we went over of Yoga is now is present moment awareness. It's focusing on what is happening to you. And if you're looking at what Susie's doing on over on her mat, she's doing all kinds of cool shit. She's doing handstands and, and she's doing backbands and all these other things. You're suffering. Not only are you comparing yourself, well, and, and maybe this looks different for different people. Maybe people will look over and be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to try and do that. And that's awesome. But in ways where it's not working for you is when you're looking at her practice and you're judging your own and you're comparing your own. It also might just take you out of the moment. Like now that you're watching her, you're not doing your own practice, right? And so how does this apply to our lives off the mat when we're not practicing yoga? Are we looking to other people to make decisions for us? And with everything, there's there's balance to it. So the idea here isn't, you know, don't ever consult, don't ever get advice. But I know I find myself in the position often where... I've gotten too many opinions and then I'm just completely like overwhelmed and I've lost the inner wisdom of myself that actually does have the answer. And for everybody, the buck stops with you. You're the one who's going to end up making the decision. And so trying to channel that and create more space for resourcing within yourself as opposed to other people is really important. Okay, we're shifting into the yamas and the niyamas. I'm not going to talk a lot about them, but you can Google them. Um, or maybe I'll talk about them another time, but I want to talk about ahimsa and back the yamas and the niyamas in summary are things that you should do and things that you should not do to live a moral life. Again, like the path to a life, hopefully that is one that feels worth living and one that feels like it's a good quality of life for you. Yoga says, well, practice the yamas and niyamas, things to do, things not to do. And these are things that are going to help you do that, live a moral, ethical life. And so 
One of these is the practice of ahimsa. And I know some of my clients are listening and they're like, yes, girl, I remember this. Because if you were in my yoga for trauma group, you learned all about ahimsa. And the practice of ahimsa is one of nonviolence, nonviolence towards others, nonviolence, not just towards other people, towards other things, basically showing respect and like down to not killing a bug. Like this can get really deep. But ahimsa also applies to ourselves. And this is something that often gets forgotten in the busyness of life, especially if you are in a profession where you help other people and you help take care of other people. It's easy to be so focused on the other person that we forget that sometimes when we're taking care of other people and we're looking out for other people, we're actually not treating ourselves with kindness. We're actually not practicing the nonviolence principle towards ourselves. And so again, nonviolence towards ourself in the extreme would be not causing physical harm to yourself, but also think about it on the don't squish a bug level. You know, have you given yourself a break in your work day to go outside, take a breath, get some air, get some movement, get a drink of water, go pee. And this might sound funny for some people, but I know the teachers get it. I know the therapists get it. If you're in a job that is like a high demand, high energy, fast paced type of work environment, it's really easy to just forget or just completely deny yourself the opportunity to go to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom. And so think about it on that level. What are the ways in which you can enhance the practice of ahimsa, not just towards other people, but also towards yourself? I know for therapists, this is an interesting thing that comes up as controversial. I remember one time I was reading, I think it was a post on Instagram. There's a therapist, there's plenty of therapists who have, you know, Instagram accounts with huge followings, or maybe it was on TikTok. I can't remember, but this person didn't ask me anything. And then somebody wrote in and said something like, you know, I think I owe my therapist an apology for how I was in my last session. Didn't give any information. So who knows what that really meant, but the therapist's response was, you never owe your therapist an apology. And I was like, I, I disagree. Therapists, yes, we're here to help other people. And the reason that they are coming to therapy, the other people, of course, like sometimes that's going to come up in therapy. And so on the one hand, we don't want to penalize people for doing the thing that they're in therapy for, because it's our job to help with that. The other side of that is we're also not dumpsters. Like we're not dumpsters for trauma or anger or abuse or narcissism or anything like that. And so in my world, it's perfectly fine. And I really encourage other people to be thinking about this in other careers. Like you don't deserve to get treated like garbage, regardless of the profession that you're in. And so it's a very dialectical stance. On the one hand, yeah, we don't want to be criticizing clients, of course, or holding them to the standard that, you know, things are going to go perfect all the time. I mean, clients are coming to us with issues that stem from trauma, stem from abuse, all of these things. And so that can come out as anger. That can come out as so many different things. And so because of that, you can't just be like, you got to talk to me differently. Like you probably won't get anywhere. You probably won't have any clients. Like it's not about you. At the same time, on the other side of that, I think, you know, if you're someone going to therapy or if you're in any situation at all where you are the customer, let's say, and you think that you might oh, a repair in some sense, do it, especially if that's your wise self telling you that. And therapists, be open to it. Be okay in whatever profession you're in. 
whatever role you're in in your life, maybe this is about you and your parents or your partner or something like that. And you feel that you were spoken to in a way or you're being treated in a way that someone isn't respecting you as an individual and you didn't feel okay with that. It's okay to say that regardless of what profession you're in. So that's my opinion. Protect yourself. Don't let yourself be a dumpster for anybody else's crap. It doesn't matter. Like, I mean, maybe unpopular opinion. But again, we're talking about sustainability here and the ability to be able to persist and to keep going on and doing really hard work. So I want you to think about that. Okay, lesson number five is that injuries require time and space to heal. My nephew, Jordan, who's amazing, by the way, he is a really great baseball player. He's going into his junior year of high school and he fell earlier this year and he broke a bone. I think it was in his wrist. It was in his hand, definitely for sure, which is a big deal when you play baseball. And so what happens when you break something? You go, you get a cast, and then that cast is now visible to everyone. You guys might have heard me talk. I think I now that I'm saying I talked through this example in the episode with Dr. Charlie Swenson, another stellar episode. I mean, the man, the stories he has, the amount of experience he has, and here he is sharing. He's also just a great storyteller. Anyway, I digress. So the story basically is that everyone can see Jordan's injury. And because people can see that, they can support it from the outside. If you show up to a yoga class and you have a cast on, your class is going to be completely different. Even if if you even choose to go, I mean, most people would not because it's going to be really hard to practice depending on how we see it, right? Like the person could come, could be sitting and meditating and still practicing yoga. But if we're thinking about the asana practice, the physical practice, and they show up to a yoga class, well then sure, that's going to be, you're not going to be doing handstands when you got one arm in a cast. And so we know that in order to get back to it, you got to take time to heal it. Because if you don't take time to heal it, you'll screw it up even more. You'll be out of the game even longer. And that would really suck. Now, what about the internal injuries? And an injury can be, again, we're talking literal and metaphorical here, right? So it could be a broken arm. It could be a paper cut. And maybe that paper cut just like gnaws at you and you just need to keep it open and and give it air and not do X, Y, or Z task. I don't know what a paper cut would prevent you from doing, but whatever. It could be anything. So it could be something big. It could be something really small. And so what are those small paper cuts that we experience every day? I am still learning how much mental and emotional energy it takes to parent a child. And let me tell you, the math is not adding up. I'm not accounting for this in my day-to-day stuff. I've had people thankfully recently remind me, hey, but you're a mom too. And I'm like, oh yeah, that guy really takes a lot of energy. I mean, it's just something that we don't account for. And so is it an injury? I mean, it's an overworked muscle. And so if I'm putting out all of this energy and I only have so much in the day, I wake up with only so much, some of that's going to work. Some of that's going, a lot of it's going to work and creation and coming up with new ideas and, and, and making those come into fruition. Like that's all exciting things, but I also, it also takes mental and emotional energy to be able to parent and to be a wife and then to take care of myself as a human. All of these things require mental power. And if I'm not accounting for that in my bank statement, I'm going to be in the negative and not even realize it and then hold myself to the standard that I was holding myself to and not really make an adjustment and then fall short. And what happens for me is and I'll start judging myself. I'm like, I can't believe you didn't wake up early and I can't believe you didn't go for that walk you committed to and blah, 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 blah. 
again, this all comes back to mental health because it doesn't feel good when I'm thinking all of those thoughts, right? I don't feel good about myself. My mind feels clouded. Like I'd rather just not any of that. And so recognizing that even if you are feeling run down, that might be, you know, not that you're lazy or that you've got too much going on. Like you might have too much going on. And because of that, you might need more time to rest and to bounce back than you gave yourself, than you allotted for. Lesson number six is that movement is medicinal. It's a very cool thing to look into. I could really go off on different research points and different books to read, but like the secret to a lot of healing has to do with movement. This morning on the news, I saw a study that said that sitting is the new smoking. And there was this research that basically indicates that people who don't stand enough throughout the day, their chances of dying younger are higher and that these people are dying younger. I'm interested in what other things correlate with that. Like, is it just those people don't have an active lifestyle? Like, but basically sitting and not moving will kill you. Ooh, sounds kind of extreme, but it's true according to these different research studies. And then when actually when you look at animals in the wild who go through something traumatic, you can look up like this polar bear somatic experiencing video on YouTube and you'll see this example of a polar bear who's fleeing and um, these researchers are trying to tranquilize it so they can put a marker in it and they can watch it and study it, do whatever they do. Anyways, he's like stressed out. He's running. He gets hit with the dart. And then you'll see what happens. The stress response is the animal starts looking like they're kind of convulsing. And then you'll see his paws moving like he's running. And this is the movement that happens. Basically, like this is why animals don't get PTSD. I know someone will argue with me and tell me that their dog has PTSD. I get it. I'm not saying I don't believe in that. That is a real thing. But the reasons that animals can move through this and they don't store these mental harming experiences in their bodies is because they're able to move it out. And the book Burnout, I was pleasantly surprised to read that like there's this whole section on how important it is to complete the stress cycle that lives in your body by moving. And so that doesn't have to be yoga. It could be just going for a walk and spending 15 to 20 minutes moving in some way each day helps your body to process the emotions, the memories, all of the stuff that gets stuck from experiencing an emotion. When you think about experiencing an emotion it's something that happens mentally and physically. It's not just something that happens in your mind. You feel it and feeling it is part of what signals you to know something's up and I'm having a reaction to this. This is my emotion. This is These are the sensations that are all connected to it. And so it makes sense that when we're targeting that and we're trying to move past it, feel better, we can't just target our mind and tell ourselves, oh, think differently. It's going to be okay if you do that. No, like that doesn't work because of your body. Your body went through it as well. Lesson number seven is let enough be enough. I tried practicing pronouncing this. This is another one from the, if you look up the yamas and niyamas, you'll see aparigraha. I think that's how you say it. I might be wrong. Good news is I'm not trying to say this completely correct and have no errors in this show. So the idea here is around non-greed. And so this brings to mind the idea of gratitude, letting enough be enough. Stop chasing the next thing. I'm taking a deep sigh as I say it because I do it to myself all of the time. Let enough be enough. 
Comparison will be the thing that murders your joy, your peace, your satisfaction, your contentment. So consider this when you're going for the next thing or when you're stressing out about the thing that you don't have is do you actually have enough in this moment? And the more that you recognize areas that you do have enough will be places that contentment and ease can be invited into more, which is a great, it's a much better feeling than stress and anxiety, right? Contentment and ease sound really great. But in order to find that, we have to consider where are the places that we're looking for more? Where's the scarcity mindset coming in and telling us that we need to do X, Y, or Z or have X, Y, and Z in order for us to be happy? We can challenge that and invite in the idea that we can be happy with what we have right now. The next one is that usually you need whatever the thing is that you're avoiding. How annoying. And so how does this come up? Oh man, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've done a backbend in yoga. I just don't like them. I don't, I don't enjoy them. Backbends are heart opening shapes heart opening. So think about where your heart is right now. Bring your shoulders together. Arch your spine. Feel the space in your heart open up. This is a little back bend. You're doing it right now. And so there are more intentional poses and shapes in yoga to help. Well, not to help, but they are back bending poses. You know what I also don't like though? Like in real life, being vulnerable and having my heart open. It's a lot easier for me to be mad than be sad. Feels like a much safer emotion. It feels safer in my body. It feels easier. It doesn't feel, I wouldn't say it feels better, but because of that, I know that I need to be doing more backbends. I need to physically open up the space in my heart so that way I can be more open, less irritable on the lower level things more open and give myself space to experience sadness on deeper things. So what is the thing that I think I'm avoiding? I think a lot of the times I avoid feeling sadness and I distract myself by being busy or I will allow myself to feel angry about something, but I don't allow myself to experience feelings like grief. And so I can practice opening up my heart more, but I avoid it. And I know that that is something I need to do more of. I also know that I need to do more of just quiet sitting. I almost feel resistant to that, like to the sense of like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Literally no one's telling me to do it, but I still feel like, well, if I feel like I'm going to do it, I'm not going to do it because that's a rule and I'm not making rules with myself. Mind you, I have all kinds of other rules that I would consider dumb like I have to work up, wake up every morning and work out. And if I don't, I've had a not productive day. Not a helpful look, girl, but I still hold to that. But in these other ways, it's like, I don't know, I, I start feeling resistant about things that I know are going to be good for me. But I also know that that's the thing that I need. I've had the same feeling right before I go to see Karen, my therapist, like, I'll be like, you know, I should just cancel because I don't really have anything to talk about. And then by the end of the session, I'm like sobbing. And I'm like, how does she do it every single time? Well, you know, you usually avoid the thing that you really need. So I'm curious for you guys what those things might be and if that rings true for you. Okay, if you're counting, I'm on the ninth lesson here. And the ninth one is that in order to thrive in any way. So again, I'm speaking, when I'm doing this presentation, I'm speaking to a room full of therapists. But right now I'm speaking to anybody. I'm speaking to you, whatever that might 
whatever role you hold, you need support and you need to have your people who are going to rally behind you, around you, help hold you up, help push you forward in hard times and challenging times when you feel like you can't do something, when you feel like there's no reason to keep going on. You need people to help with that. When you feel like you're just going to lose it and you're just going to quit it all, pack your bags and go, I don't know, sell mangoes on the side of the highway. That's been my late, my latest, like quit my job and life fantasy because still Hawaii, I think about, I'm going to open up like a mango stand. I don't even like mangoes. So I don't even know why that's like the thing coming up. There was a taco stand I went to Juan's Tacos in Kona. Oh my God. So good. I would just love to be cooking tacos, but newsflash, I don't, I literally cook nothing. I don't even know if I'd be good at selling mangoes because well, number one, I don't like them, but I don't cook anything. So I don't really know that I have business doing that. Anyways, how the heck did I get there? My gosh, the ADHD is coming in really strong right now. I know I was talking about support and I know that you need support to be able to stay in the game. That's what it is. You know, if, if your if your desire, if your heart and your 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 wise mind and all of your desires point you towards that life, then that's what you should be going through. And you need to have people around who are going to support you in that. We don't have time for the negative Nancy Debbie Downer like energy. And so consider the people who are in your corner. If you don't have them, you've got to find them. You've got to put intention into creating relationships that feel reciprocal. That, that I don't know. I was about to make up a word that they reciprocate support that you support them and they support you. They'll challenge you when you need to be challenged. They'll hold you up when you need to be held up and they'll help push you and move you forward. So there's a big need for support. And I think that that comes with community and connection. Community is something that I've definitely found in the yoga world. Having meaningful connection, I think is what really helps you to feel thriving in community and community doesn't have to be a whole group of people. Maybe it's just one other person and you feel that sense with them. But I just want to encourage people to really evaluate, like who are the people in their lives that are pulling you away from that? Do you need to make some changes there? And who are the people who are really enhancing that for you? Okay. I'm almost done here. My last lesson for you today in what I've learned from yoga that I think is really important for you to remember to have a life that feels fulfilling and one that feels peaceful most of the time. And one where you can say, you know what? I feel like my mental health is in a good place right now. These are the 10 tips, the 10 lessons that I want you to be considering. The last one is that your fullest expression will change over time. So in yoga, your fullest expression is considered the most of the pose that you can take at that time. And so there's different variations of taking a pose. So for example, let's say you're you're in a class and the teacher offers up taking a warrior pose, warrior two, right? And then they make a comment and they say, you know, you can take warrior two, you can take it with a bind. And so you, you take one of your arms and you bind it behind your back. So you take your low, your your hand at your low back. You open up your shoulder, your other arms extended. So you have a half bind going on here. And then they say like, or go into your fullest expression. And so other people might start doing some crazy cool stuff. Like they've got, they, they transition into a handstand. For me, that's always like the coolest thing to see is people doing stuff in handstands. But then you see someone else taking their fullest expression. They go into a child's pose and child's pose is considered a pose of rest. 
It's usually one that starts or ends a class. It's one that usually represents a break. And so that's okay for that person because that's what their fullest expression is. Your fullest expression is going to change not only like over the years, but it's going to change during the day. If you've ever gone for a workout like in the morning at 6.30 versus at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, for me, I have way more energy at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. My workout's going to look different. The fullness of that of that practice for me is going to be different than it would at 6.30 in the morning. Same if I'm sick, same if I didn't sleep well at night, same if I didn't eat breakfast, whatever kind of mental energy Christopher required of me of that morning. All of those things are going to change. And the same thing is true for when you started your job or when you started in, in this relationship. Your fullest expression is going to look different day to day, moment to moment, and year to year. And it's really important to honor that. As a new therapist, oh my gosh, I was like, well, not even, yeah, as a new therapist, I was just talking about this to friends last night. When I first started working in, not in mental health, but when I first got my license, I had three jobs. I was working full time as an agency. I was seeing clients at night and then I was teaching yoga. That was my fullest expression when I was 20, I don't know, how old, how old was I, 22, 24? I think I was 24 at the time. I'm 34 now and my life is different. And because my life is different, that's not my fullest expression. I can't do three, I, I don't want to do three different jobs either. And so it's important to consider these things when we're making changes to our life, to our schedule. I can't hold myself to the same standard that I held myself to then knowing that now my life is completely different. I have a kid and that is just one part of my life that's so different that if I continue to keep myself and hold myself to the same sort of work hour, productivity hours that I did 10 years ago, man, I'm going to fall short a lot. I'm going to run myself into the ground a lot. And so I want you to consider what your expectations of yourself are. And are you considering what your fullest expression is right now? Are you holding yourself to an old standard that maybe needs to get revisited? Do you need to take child's pose right now? Maybe it might be the opposite. Maybe it's time to gear up. You know, maybe you're at a different time in your life where you do have more time and more space and you're finding that you don't really feel fulfilled. And so maybe the opposite is true and you need to be doing more to feel better, to feel fulfilled. You're going to take the handstand. You're going to take the variation. You're going to take the harder class, right? That all might be relevant and true, but it's important to consider what's relevant and true for you. So my dog is starting to tell me that this podcast is over. Let me know which of these 10 principles is ringing true most for you right now. What feels most relevant? What things you're working on? You know where to find me. I will talk to you on our next episode. Take good care, people. All right. That's today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Tea Talk. I hope that your cup of tea is full today and that you were able to pull something out of this for yourself. If you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please send it their way. And let me know what you're thinking by sending me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you all. And make sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving what you're hearing, please leave me a review and a rating. It would mean so much. All right, friends, take good care and I will see you next time.